0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Leanne Bach of M Realty. So nice to have Leanne support the podcast and therefore support our food community. Absolutely. We- by supporting the podcast
1: one of the things that I've learned over the past uh, six months Chris is we recently bought a house how important it is to have a good realtor working for you
0: oh yeah it makes all the difference I, I had one in the past that uh, <laughs> I will never use again you don't and want I've to name a, names no no that well, was in Connecticut <laughs> I might want to now okay it's, sure it's long some as, distance long time, has passed. Some time but it really does make a difference when you have a great realtor and I think one of the advantages with Leanne with the pe- for people listening to this podcast, she's totally into the Portland food scene. Yeah. So if there's any involvement you want to have with a neighborhood um, and she's she's sympathetic and understanding sure. about what you want what you would really want.
1: Well, and when you're uh, you know when you're a small business owner like food people are, There's different ways to go about buying houses than like a regular guy with a job like me at the radio station.
0: Yeah, are you a regular
1: guy? I would, I would, I get paid a salary as opposed to having to go like figure out how I'm going to get paid next week. Yeah, well, that's me. Yeah, so you know how it is exactly. Yeah, I do know how it is, but but for
0: those folks in the industry, Leanna's great. She, uh, her partner is Ryan at Aria
1: Gin. They have the most beautiful little child.
0: And um, we'd like you
1: to support them. Yeah, you can check her out at uh, leannebach.com. Her phone number is 503-349-7890. Or you can email her as well at leannebach at gmail.com.
0: Very cool. I love Leanne.
1: This is Right at the Fork, Portland's food scene podcast for another week with your host Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures, and uh, I'm Court Johnson from 1019 King. Chris, you've got a PFA, a Portland Food Adventure, just around the corner. Yeah, with a James Beard-nominated chef who's
0: been on the podcast, and as a matter of fact, one of our most listened-to podcasts ever. Mm -hmm. Justin Woodward, who was on with Gary, the foodie.
1: Just maybe a month, month and a half ago?
0: Yeah, so go back and listen to that, and also... Uh, we're Monday night, the 29th, mm-hmm. at Cafe Castagna. He's doing a grand, grand aioli. I was pr- I was corrected on that pronunciation so it's not by, aioli. My, by my friend Brett Beal. Okay. Uh, it's aioli. All right. And what that is is a beautiful garlic-based sauce that's going to be served with tuna, pork, all sorts of vegetables. And this is – Justin is a talented chef, mm. so we're going to be doing some bites from Castanya yeah. to start, and then we go to Cafe Castaña, um, and we have rosé pairings with this. And a uh,
1: delightful
0: dinner on Monday night, the
1: 29th, August. Very nice. And people can still, uh, you still have some seats available? We do. That's why we're mentioning it. Yeah. PortlandFoodAdventures.com. Yeah, that's where you go to get it. So uh, that's you're going to be eating there on Monday. Have you been uh, anywhere recently, Chris, that uh
0: Um Yeah, you know where I went? You, it's I, it's somewhere I've been before, but it was the first time I went for brunch, was Expatriate. Oh, yeah. And uh, they started brunch a few months ago and uh, was in town on a Sunday morning and jumped over there, got a seat at the bar, um, had one of the best Bloody Marys I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have it with tequila there, too, as well. Bloody oh, very Mary nice. Tequila. Yeah. Um, and a really nice, uh, really nice bite. I had the uh, sliced pork loin uh, over some hash browns. It was A little bit of spice, you know, Naomi over there, Naomi Pomeroy and Kyle Webster running
1: that place. Great,
0: great little spot. Expatriate for brunch. Try that.
1: See, and I found it was midweek. It was a Wednesday. My wife and I had just gone tile hunting because we just bought a new house. And so we were looking for some tile for, or actually no, hardwood. And uh, we were going back through town to drop her off at work. And I thought, we're hungry. We're right there by Superbite. So we stopped by Superbite, 5 p.m., walked in, got a seat right away. And it was awesome. We had our eight-year-old with us. They were, it was perfect. Bites and plates, and they actually have some platters. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get up to the platter level because we, we didn't just— You don't get there. I think if there's enough of you, then a platter might be. If you're, right. I saw, like, three dudes, and they were, like, hungry. And so I think they did the platters and they did some other stuff. But we just did some bites and some platters, and they had this really good uh, Dungeness crab that was good. Uh, my daughter got the—it's uh, the, called SpaghettiOs. It was not the SpaghettiOs she thought she was going to get, Yeah. but it was better. And then uh, just some really great, great uh, sand-peared uh, uh, salmon. Sand-peared. 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 Some sand-peared salmon. Sand-peared mammon. Yeah, some uh, pan-seared salmon that, uh, that uh, I've been thinking about ever since. It's just it was really good.
0: Yeah. we. Uh, I've been a couple of times, and uh, you don't get to the platters by the time you've gone through and enjoyed no, you, And in order to – let me have another one of those. This is always and my problem with – Salmon crudos. Yeah.
1: This is almost my problem with small plates is I'm like, I'm going to need way more than this. And then by the time you, no. you get it, all, it all comes out at different times, and you're eating and you're talking, and by the you're, you're full. You're like, oh, I guess I'm done because you are. So, they have
0: a they have a dish with burrata
1: there you have to have too. Yeah. Super
0: bite. I mean it's that's the whole idea. A mm-hmm. bite here, a bite there, a lot of bites and uh, in total a delicious meal.
1: Yep. Oh one of the, one of the most the simplest thing that was on it was we got the we got just some bread, mm-hmm. some butter and some sea salt. Oh yeah. Sea salt on it. And that and I made a point to find out exactly what kind of salt was on it because of this conversation we had with today's guests. Mark Bitterman. Yeah. He he changed my life after this conversation we had with him. I went home, opened up my pantry to find out what type of salt we had in there. Because we have sea salt, and I just want to say, cause, you know, he's, he talks about the sea salt, or the, excuse me, the salt that we all grew up with. Just the table salt. Right. Uh, and I thought, man, I don't think we've had that in our house for some time. And I went back to see exactly what we had. And I think I'm in, I think I'm think good. I don't know if I'm at the, like, you premier level. You won't know you're good until you go to the Meadow and that see was, all the different— the, Apparently that's what I need to do. The, where, they're com, where they're sourced from, what they
0: taste like. Yeah. It's a whole new world. Uh, and, and he's into bitters, too, so they have a whole bitter section. They've got a chocolate section at the Meadow. Um, uh, really, that is— uh, a retail experience anybody coming to Portland as a as a visitor, or who lives here, should have. Um, yeah. And uh, Mark's very well educated. He's written a number of books. He gives lectures on, uh, you know, he's a certified sell-mier, mm-hmm. um if I pronounce that correctly. It's about an eighty percent chance I didn't. Mm. So someone can you can post that for us. You can Twitter it, yeah, tweet it's a, it, that we did it. It's pretty. a it's a mie of yes, sell. Right. Exactly. So he's that and, um, and has written some books on bitters and uh, also is a part owner of the Solo Club now where you can go and have some drinks that are derived from his knowledge. So I think that's a good idea. It was, a, it was really cool to have Mark on. I had not met him yet. And uh, another one of those guests, first time we met in yeah. person. We did talk on the phone. Fascinating guy. And usually we're talking about backgrounds, where people came from. Right. He's got salt in his blood because oh, that's what he wants quite to talk passionate. about. Well, I don't know if this is going to be normal. You, you this decide. is not
2: going to be a normal conversation. So.
0: No, I, I understand it's going to be a nice conversation because you and I, as, as in our exchanges, I can't believe we haven't met because I've been in, your, been in the meadow so many times.
2: I don't know and where I'm, I've been hiding under a rock somewhere.
0: Well, we both have, but you know, there's so many people in the. In, it's a small town, but it's a. I mean, it's a small city, but it's a big town.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I feel like I know everybody, and I'm meeting people all the time.
0: Yes, but I'm glad to meet. I actually was uh, having a conversation with Kana last night. Oh, yeah. And she was telling me—well, She well, you know how she is, but she was telling me just how no, great no, you how, were. No, no, how is she? <laughs> <laughs> she was telling me how great a guy you were in so many different ways, and you can see that by looking at your website. Uh, you got a lot of things going on. You have— yeah, a few, a few goodies, a few passions. So how did those passions come about? How did you, in your, you know, you're dealing with, I'll let you reel off all the things that you're dealing with. I mean, not that you're dealing with, but you're, you become an expert enough to at least have written some books about a sure, number of sure. topics. Yeah. So, you know, you've got salt and bitters and so forth, and I understand you were down doing something with cocktails in New Orleans yep. recently. yeah yep. So, um, how did that all come about? Where did it, where did it start in your, yeah, you know, so I, I'm,
2: uh, I was raised like some of us here. Um, I was raised, uh, in, in an era before there were foodies, um, right? Well, that's, that's a modern thing. How old uh, are you? If you don't mind my asking? geez, you really want to put that on the, on no, the just air? to give me a um,
0: range. Give me a, a decade. That's uh, 40s, <laughs> it's like the census. Right? I, was,
2: I was born in the sixties.
0: Yeah. Okay. You're, yeah, there that's you what go. I said. You're in your, toward the, toward the later side of the sixties. Okay. <laughs> I like doing it that way, too. I, I just say, just, I'm just say i in my 50s. You can figure it out for me.
2: Yeah, no, and I'll keep saying that forever. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I uh, I'd never really thought about food as a specific. It certainly wasn't a hot topic. It was just a thing in life, and we were, had a little bit less money than, than a lot of people, so we grew a lot of food in the backyard. And, and where was this? Santa Barbara, California.
0: Oh, too bad.
2: Yeah, it was horrible. It was just <laughs> just mountains and fields it's
0: and oceans. One of the and, nicest places you yeah, could live. It's so So to be to ha- be in a family where you don't have as much money as everyone else in Santa Barbara, you're still yeah got a beautiful life there. It
2: was there. it was yeah no no I mean we had shoes we were fine you know mm-hmm. I just just you know by today's standards I look at my kids who like you know expect to have a phone and it's like well we didn't have an answering machine dude. Uh, let alone a, an a, your own personal iPhone, and
0: I was at a dinner last night, and we had a 17 year old there, and we were describing what phony phone calls were all about, and you can't do those anymore, right? Because morning, no, color, morning, Jack, color, you know, that-
1: you know, color ID changed the world <laughs> of, in, morning in mor- of morning radio. More of morning radio, the 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 pranks went away, and if you hear a prank, this is my little shout out to Prank Radio. It's fake. If you hear a prank call anymore, it's completely fake. It's has right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything's changed, I mean, but
0: not to go down a different who an- track. Who
1: answers the phone anymore if you don't recognize the number? You're like, I don't recognize that. You yeah. let it go to voicemail. And,
0: and this came about because I have a little Prince Albert in the can um, at, uh, in yeah. my house, and it fell over. So, <laughs> just quickly off on a tangent, I worked in New Haven in radio when Glenn Beck was doing morning, oh, yes. ra- you, morning radio. You're doing the wacky phone Glenn phone Beck. Calls. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. that that was his calling, actually. It, he moved on past that, well, yeah, but he's still doing <laughs> his crank something. For, yeah, <laughs> um, but at any rate, d- I just wanted to get a perspective for where and when. yeah, and because you, you said you, you know, there were no foodies. And if there were foodies, they were probably in that region of California, right. yeah. There were certainly people who were taking food seriously
2: back then. You know, farmers' markets were starting to come online, right. and uh, restaurants were. Uh, there wasn't quite the celebrity chef thing going on that there is now, but you start, you had a couple here and there, uh, uh, Alice Waters, Wolfgang Puck. Some of these folks were out there mm-hmm. uh, making a splash. But anyway, um I never really thought much about food except that, you know, we, we cooked a lot at home. We baked our own bread. We had fantastic food. My mom was a great cook, um, but I wasn't one of those people. I love to say like, Oh, I was raised on my mother's aprons, you know, hung on my mother's apron strings or whatever, and lived in the kitchen that way. And, That wasn't at all the case for me. I was just a rowdy kid, uh, you know, ranging around in the hills and riding a skateboard. But when I moved to Europe in my uh, late teens, uh, early 20s, I moved there and stayed there off and on for about seven years. What prompted you to go? Uh, Weirdly, you know, I remember this feeling when I was in seventh grade and I all of a sudden knew that I needed to speak French. I had this like very weird. I have no idea where it came from, honestly. I'm not a mystical person, but... Something came from a past life and just like,
0: you must speak French.
2: Well, well,
1: it's a certain je ne sais quoi. Yes. <laughs> well, I find that
0: amusing because the first year I had to take French was seventh grade and I was wishing I didn't have to. Yeah. So you were wishing you. I just completely, maybe it was connected to this cute
2: girl that was also in French class. Mm. But, oh, so that could, yeah, well. well, that'll do it. Yeah, something <laughs> just compelled me. And then uh, as soon as I was able, I was about 18, I, I, I traveled to France and I, I swear I can never, I'll never forget the feeling I was like six o'clock in the morning walking down the street fruit stands are opening up they're hosing down the sidewalks and streets, and I I felt I felt I like I had just come home I felt like I'd found home and it was the most strange uncanny feeling because it was the most exotic story fairy tale like place but I felt this amazing connection have you been back to that spot since? Uh, that's like same in later street? life? To, yeah. to oh, it's still magical. It. Every time. I was just there a week and a half ago, two weeks ago with my boys. Well, there you go. And and, uh,
0: you, and you told them the story and where you were? Uh Nah, they don't care about my life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a few years and they'll be like, they'll appreciate it. They're indifferent. But I ended up working on a, on a farm in the south of France. Uh, like at a chateau. And and I restored the chateau for a number of years and uh, we raised uh, sheep and, and hunted and and foraged, and the food was, and went to market, and food was just something that was at a different level, and what I quickly saw was that what was happening with food there, not only was it so good that I was, it was completely blowing my mind, and I was a kid raised on good homegrown, home-cooked food in Santa Barbara, but just with the cheeses, and the wines, and the beautiful prepared products, and and the kind of the, the a level of, of, of savvy and wisdom that went into agriculture. People know so much about the land and about the, the, the feeds and the weather. And it was, there was so, it was so much going on that I was just kind of riveted. And then the thing that took it even a step further was the interrelatedness of it all, the relationships that everybody had with one another, that people at markets and people on farms and people in kitchens and neighbors. and and winemakers and cheesemakers, all these people knew each other and interacted with each other. And there was this fabric to life there that
0: I was just, it completely entranced me. So were you a good student? So, and the reason I'm asking is because, was this the first thing you found that you thought, oh, I could be, this is something that intrigues me. Did things intrigue you in school? Other than French, yeah, I, guess I mean, you, I, I probably have French. some. I don't know if I
2: if it's diagnosable. but probably a little ADD. Um, uh, but yeah, I was a good student in school. Um, and I, but I, but when I my interest in this in in France wasn't professional, I was just like right, ah, the culture, this cool, it's the culture, and yeah, I was having a great time and had a motorcycle and traveled all over Europe and 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 worked all over, met all these amazing people and and frankly, just kind of found myself. Um, just kind of connected to life more deeply than I'd even, ever felt. I maybe felt a little bit like a, like a black sheep or a little bit out of water growing up in Santa Barbara. I just never really found my, my, my soul there. Um, so at any rate, that led one thing after another. I started to pay a little bit of attention to certain things. Uh, the thing that caught my attention first in Europe that really was the most revolutionary thing was salt. And I tell the story in the intro to my first book, but about how I was traveling around on on, on my motorcycle, and I stopped at a truck stop, and I, uh, I'm just kind of I said I'm gonna order a little steak, really kind of indulge myself instead of just eating sardines on stale bread or something. And the
0: steaks in Southern France aren't as tender as the steaks here. That's been my no, because they 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 range. Yeah, they, they're on the they're on the land. It's not different. In I didn't I didn't really enjoy the steaks I had there.
2: Yeah, they're they're uh, from a from a, a a tenderness standpoint, they don't hold up. But from a flavor standpoint, they're out of this world. And they also know how to cook a steak. There, you know, they they have some cuts there that are um, less pristine and perfect. But the irregularity, of like an entrecote. Mm -hmm. has all this kind of, it's two steaks in one. It's like Mm -hmm. a double whammy. You get this kind of fatty, juicy side, then this more fillet side. Anyway, eating one of these, kind of a cheapo steak, um, and I took this bite, and I realized that I was eating something that was the single best thing I'd ever eaten in my entire life. It was completely, it transported me. And I'm taking another bite, and I'm just like, what the heck is going on with this thing? So I asked the waiter, dude, you know, how do you cook the steak? What's up? And he's like, "What's what is the steak?" And he's like, "It is a cow." And I'm like, "Screw <laughs> you!" You know, give me some <laughs> some data. Uh, you know, but he's kind of like whoever's this American dude who's you know weirded out by a steak. That's kind of a bit much for somebody like that. So anyway, I eventually kind of pit him down, and he's like, "Look, steak squirreled, grilled, uh, and it's got salt on it." And I'm looking at the steak more carefully, and then he's coarse chunky crystals of this kind of silvery salt that are sitting in these little wells of moisture on the top of the steak. And I take another bite and, and I get this minerally briny crunch in this, and it just kind of like illuminates this fatty rich flavor of the steak. And this thing is just ridiculous. And I realized then and there, I'm like, so what, what is the salt? And he's like, oh, well, this is salt from Gironde. It's a uh, rel- relative of the family. And um, we use, it just, it's just salt, you know? And I'm, I jump on my motorcycle and I blast to the coast and I meet this salt maker dude. And he's like, got these like, like sun bleached piercing blue eyes. And this kind of like squinty little crow's feet in his corner of his eyes. And it's got this wavy blonde hair. When there's no wind, his hair is still like blowing in the wind as he's talking to you. And I'm like, this dude is like amazing. And he's talking about how he makes salt and how he's been making it, uh, in his family for generations and how the salt works go back to, uh, uh, times when the Trappist monks established salt works in like the 11th century. And I'm like, that's insane. And he's like, yeah, and that's foundation, on the foundations of salt works that were there since Roman times, 800 years before that. And that's on the foundation of salt works that go back to Celtic times. There were 2000 years before that. And I'm sitting here on this side of this salt marsh talking to this guy and I'm thinking that I was just in a truck stop, you know, four hours away. And now I've just telescoped back through time till frickin' Neolithic times. And that just blew my mind.
0: And, yeah, it's one food that was around, or one one element that was one around. One
2: food element
0: Yeah, that was around. thing.
2: So I paid attention to salt after that, and I just started to kind of collect. And I collected other things. I collected, I don't, I don't talk about this too much anymore, but I collected eau de vie, you know, like uh, distilled spirits, like grappa. Mm-hmm. But Europe makes them out of frickin' everything. Like whatever they have, they'll if they find a, a goat, they'll just distill it, you know, they'd... They like to get their booze out of things. And so I just collected those too. But salt was the one that kind of accumulated. Um, it didn't go bad and it didn't get drunk. Um, and it did that for decades. Found myself being a salt Well, guy. I find
0: it interesting because, and especially when you go into the meadow, you see that there's this whole world there. And, you know, most of us, I mean, honestly, grew up with Morton Salt. Yeah. That was it. That's all we knew. Yeah, And you see all of this and you realize this is a main, this is a main taste uh, uh, of almost everything you eat, because we're all... And there's yeah. so many different things you can do with it. So I... Uh, yeah. I, so that happened for you in the 80s then. Yeah. And so that was a while ago. Yeah. And when did you decide to take this to... You know, when were you in... What were you doing in Portland when you said, hey...
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it... it, it So, yeah, you know, I was... I just became... I was always... A, I became a passionate cook and... and collector of things. Uh, I've been collecting wine since I was in high school, um, and I was really interested in chocolate. And so I just had all these food interests that I was a little, I wouldn't say obsessed with, but more just like I appreciated them a lot, and I thought about them.
0: Court guy like this, shouldn't he be heavy?
1: I I say this all the time, people with passionate (laughs) passions like that, but I mean, it also shows some discipline there. Discipline that I don't have. <laughs> I don't get it.
0: You, you, you have all these, you know, obviously a love <laughs> for tasting things. You're making me blush. No, but I I, have, I like things too. I don't get it. I've never gotten into it to the degree, anything, to the degree you have. But so, how you know, I guess, I don't know how to explain it, but there are so many great chefs who are skinny, and yeah. I, I don't understand how that works. I know. It's, it's Is it metabolism?
2: Yeah, it's probably a little bit of metabolism, a little bit of, I, I mean, I, I, eat, I like to eat. I yeah, eat my but, share. Okay, but you work chocolate's good for you, by the way. The drop is good for you. Chocolate chocolate.
1: Is chocolate's good for you.
0: Good for you. Yeah, yeah, dark chocolate. Yeah,
2: I eat a lot of dark chocolate. And
1: the question really should be, Chris, is how much time do you spend in the gym? Yeah. every day.
2: I guess that's it. It's. I mean, it's, it's. I think that sex, drugs, rock and roll keep you healthy. So sure, I don't, the drugs so much now, are maybe. Then you would maybe. have
0: ended up in Amsterdam because that was the answer I got from everybody when I said, "What brought you over here?" Is that right? Oh yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Amsterdam. I'm sure a little of that in Paris too. Um, so, yeah, I moved here. Uh, I was living in
2: New York, uh, uh, kind of bounced around a bit, but uh, I, I was in New York during 9 11, and that was, uh, I was self employed at the time. That was uh, very harsh, very intense. I had a young son who was in the city out uh, with his nanny at the time. It was very, very terrifying. Time. What were you doing in New York then? Uh, I was working, believe it or not, uh, well, then at that point, I was a consultant for internet companies. I don't know how I ended up in that position, but I. Uh, helped do kind of brand development and stuff for web companies. It was just a weird thing that happened, Post .dot com. And uh, but we stuck around for about a year after that because the sense of community and 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 uh, belonging in New York City is very strong and it bonded us all together. But the the economy just collapsed for small businesses like mine. It was terrible. So ended up uh, in Portland, and that was a great place to raise a family.
0: How did you end up in Portland?
2: Two ways. I went to Reed College, so mm-hmm. I knew it and loved it. Um, and it's also the home of my, ex, my now ex-wife. So it was where her family was. So we were just, I've always loved Portland. I think this town is ridiculous. So I ended up here and um, uh, about I don't know several months into it, my ex-wife wanted to open a flower shop. And I'm like, that's cool. Great. Leave your good paying job that has benefits and let's open a flower shop on Mississippi Avenue. It sounds like a recipe for total success. Um, and Mm -hmm. so I'm very hands on. Like I said, I was working as a foreman at a chateau for years. I built the store and found all this. This is before old growth was, was people had figured out all this old growth used timbers. Mm -hmm. No one was using it. No one. So you could go to the rebuilding center down on Mississippi and it was just, they were giving it away. Just fantastic hundred year old boards. And so I just took the stuff and sanded it down and built the store for like a couple hundred bucks. And, um, I just kind of wanted to put my salt collection in there, so just threw that in there, and it was—it honestly was a complete revelation that other people gave a damn. I just—I so couldn't. it was just
0: going to be a display for your hobby.
2: Yeah, it was just like whatever. I want to put it out there, and I can talk about it if someone wants to hear about it. You know, it's just like a quirky wait, little show. And when shop. was this? Uh, Two thousand six. Okay. So it's not long kinda, ago, really, but no, it's,
0: it's just about when things started to
2: salt wasn't being talked about. Right. you know there was there was a little bit there was an article in 1999 written by in the New York Times that said that gourmet salt was passe, which was funny because I don't know who other than a few chefs in New York City and Thomas Keller in California knew about gourmet salt, but it was de- declared passe. But really, there was no one doing it. There was uh, one or two kind of little companies poking around at the sub at the around the idea. But really, the idea that salt could be a that was it was a food that it had character that it had a provenance and a history and the idea that you could use salt strategically and thoughtfully in cooking that didn't exist in the culinary world, so that was just ground waiting
0: to be broken. And I would assume that it's easier to convince uh, chefs of this, right? Because they're all on board now, uh, you know, with a, with various products, with yours and Jacobson, and you know, yep. there's. Uh, but I would imagine, I was wondering. Well, you know what? Though? You, how, uh, uh, no. It wasn't that easy. It's, it's, no, no, it's the
2: opposite. Chefs, this is one of the funniest things because chefs are always first off, many chefs are, they're pioneers, they're cultural, they're explorers. You got guys like Ricker who goes to Vietnam, and you'd think people know Vietnamese street food, but the reality is, is that most of us don't. So you get somebody like him who goes, I love this stuff, I'm going to make a restaurant. Poc Poc opens up and people flip. Um so that happens and chefs do fulfill, fulfill that role but the thing is chefs are also market followers. What's going on the organic didn't come from chefs, free range didn't come from chefs, local didn't come from chefs.
0: Even in Portland?
2: Non-GMO didn't come from chefs. So this didn't Farm emanate, to table this
0: didn't emanate from our kitchens.
2: Farm to table came after 3 decades of people buying stuff from farmers markets and f- chefs finally saying, you know Alice Waters did it, but no one else for decades. I mean not no one else, but you know a handful of people. Uh, chefs were, aren't the, the leaders in a lot of trends. People are, and salt is. And I wouldn't have necessarily come to that conclusion on my own. But what I've seen with salt is hysterical. Chefs are sticks in the mud. They want, they, you know, like anybody, they they're, um, they rely on efficiencies and they rely on systems and processes. So the single most, the single one most important process in. Cooking. You can ask any chef in the world, you get the exact same answer. And it's seasoning. You have to season properly. You want to get cut out of a re- reality TV show, season improperly. You want to get a customer complaint, season improperly. Um, so it's the one thing that they rely on. So this, this, the way they do that is by using a standardized shit salt, like kosher salt. So virtually all the chefs you talk to out there still are, I, that's an exaggeration. Many chefs out there, the majority out there, are still using kosher salt which is garbage. It is, it's a r- artificial chemical. It's nasty. It's cheap. It's made by a huge chemical multi-conglomerate type company, Cargill. Um, and it has no place in a thoughtful modern kitchen. It's, it's, it's actual junk. But everyone uses it. It's this unexamined Tradition
0: and it goes on everything goes it's like, on so everything based on
2: what you're saying it's contaminating everything it's contaminating it's 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 a contamin, it's it's a pollutant in our food supply you're going out and you're buying you know you're having a relationship with your your suppliers you've these beautiful ingredients you're sourcing you're getting the best cheeses and meats and vegetables and you're hiring staff and you're training them and you've got everything dialed into what you want then you're putting the cheapest garbage non uh, soulless stuff on your food, and by the way, it tastes like hell. Taste kosher salt next to natural salt. No one, I've never met someone who goes, "Oh yeah, I like the kosher salt." The way it burns an acrid-tasting hole in my mouth. Mm. They, no one <laughs> likes that. They all like this, like silken, rich, complex mineral flavor. And the reason why you like it is because, for the la- however up million years, our palate has evolved and developed. It's always eaten that. It's we've always eaten salt, by the way, since. Since the dawn of time, um, the idea of a refined artificial chemical salt is brand new. It developed in the late uh, late nineteenth century. So, believe it or not, chefs are are slow on on on, on this. There are some that are picking it up, um, but there are others that are like that wrestle with it. So, it's it's really only the most uncompromising chefs that are like, I will not, I will not put crap in my customers' foods, and those are the ones that are are. Well, who we're talking to and they're the leaders.
0: And also in a time when uh, margins are so slim at restaurants and they're using so I'm, much salt. I'm glad you brought that one up. That's one so,
2: of my favorite ones because you'd think that's the chef's, that's like the go-to. You've right. got to save money. Margins are tight. So this is a, a funny one, right, because um, cheap, 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 cheap crap salt um, is, let's just say for the sake of arguments, give or take about a quarter of a cent per serving. So I'm going to argue that you should use really, really, really good salt. So to do that, you're gonna to have to multiply by about 800% your food costs. You're gonna have to get up to about two cents, maybe three cents a serving. So an 800, or even let's call it a 1,000% increase in cost, which by the way, actually I've done math, it's considerably less than that, but I'm being generous. So every single chef in the world, you wanna multiply your food cost by 10? That's crazy talk, but the incremental in cost is somewhere between two and a quarter, two and three quarter, one and a half, one cent. So it's this very false math. The, the, the equivalent would be, how much does a slice of cucumber cost? One slice of cucumber costs about 10 cents. So- He's done this presentation a couple of times, <laughs> you can tell. 10 cents, so what you could say is, I'm gonna use the best damn fleur de cell made in a, it, it, using only natural solar energy in a sustainable manner in a, in a mangrove forest uh, with a social equity component where we're giving back to the community and this stuff is lush and rich and minerally and it's gorgeous and it's a natural whole food and it's going to cost you the price of a, slight, a half a slice of cucumber, quarter, quarter slice of cucumber. Any single chef in the world can make that transition. It's a false econ- economy. can
0: cut the slice of cucumber out of the cut trout. the slice
2: of cucumber and say <laughs> we use fleur to sell on our menu, and everyone's
0: going to be like, "God damn, you guys are badasses," and they're not going to miss your quarter slice of cucumber. And do you find do you is is that less common now? Because I think, you know, I think most of us were unaware of salt, in, at least in this community, yeah. And I, I'm slightly, to, I I consider myself plugged in. I, you know, four or five years ago, I hadn't even thought about it, and then. You know, I started hearing about yep. a couple of you here. It's still,
2: it, I cannot tell you, um, it's still, chefs are still lagging. Really? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There are chefs that are doing it that are, that are yeah. that, w- that just are appalled at the notion of, of using bad salt. In some, and frankly, many chefs, you know, they're not all arrogant, cocky people. Most chefs are hungry, learning people. Um, so the chefs that transition are like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, my God, never, you know, because look, at we grew up. It's our entire, what's unusual is if, by the way, if you go to a foreign country and you talk to them about kosher salt, they look at you and scratch their head and say, what the hell are you talking about? Why would I ever use that, ever use that in my cooking? I use good ingredients in my cooking. I would never, it's not even in the food supply. Um, but Americans, it's not their fault. We grew up, our entire food ways. Developed so recently
0: in modern times, it was all developed in, uh, for us, right? The our decades <laughs> in our lifetime <laughs> on Madison. It was all developed on Madison Avenue. Yeah. that had nothing to do with what's good for you.
2: Yeah, that's a fact. So, so exactly right. So we're you know our our culinary tradition is still evolving, and we have we're making progress. We're learning more and more about food all the time. But but chefs have a lot to learn still, and and frankly, a lot they have to. One of the single hardest things, because we talked about the importance of seasoning effectively, is chefs have to get over the idea that what everyone else does means, because it's the easiest, most well understood, Lego-like solution. You get a chef from one kitchen, you bring him to your kitchen, you're using the exact same salt, nothing goes wrong. That idea is, is also unexamined, because what chefs should be looking for is, dude, it's my way or the highway. You can work in my kitchen, you're gonna learn how to season. I'm gonna show you how to season. You thought you knew what salt is, you don't know what salt is. I'm gonna show you what salt is. That's the opportunity that chefs
0: have. It's work. But the results are badass flavor. And how much of seasoning is subjective, though? Because I you know, I've yeah. I read restaurant reviews and yeah. sometimes I'll read them and just think, you know, I really like that place. Am I such a terrible yeah. judge of food? Um, so I don't I that always puzzles. Me. I think that the the answer lies a little bit between the
2: two. For one thing, restaurant view- reviewers, especially nowadays, I'm sorry, but there are a handful I could name on one hand, the restaurant reviewers that I truly like put a lot of credibility in. And those are people of immense curiosity, very worldly, very passionate, and also just work hard people. They go and they test and they try and they bring in friends and they get second opinions and they're, those are the serious restaurant critics. And how many of those do you know? I mean, we know we're in the age of Yelp where people just pull opinions out of their, you know, what. Uh, we're
0: in the age where I see criticism that's based on what other people say.
2: Yeah. Not based yeah.
0: on, you know, that that was how I... Yeah, You're talking about 2006. It was just about then I discovered PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. Yeah. With Food Dude. And, you know, I'm friends with him now. I, I I really respect what he did. He was going on his own dime with yep. friends. And uh, he... I believe it was about 10 experiences
2: yeah real real he's actually i think there were maybe karen brooks a handful of other people out there that were like really doing the work in the trenches to and like what he said he throw himself on the grenade of bad food it right. was like exactly his,
0: saving you the trouble something.
2: it was it was cool but so uh i think that you know reviews aside um you know, the question is subjectivity. You know, chefs want to control the experience you have. They don't want you to be doing the seasoning too much. Um, and I, I do beg to differ with that approach a little bit, but I will also concede to chefs that I think you can ferret your way through to where you, like, there is this arc. As you add more salt, you see flavor build and build and build and build. And what I'm describing now with my, pa- my hands since we're on the radio is kind of a bell curve. As you...
0: It gets more and
2: more and more yeah, flavor. We can
0: make this a multimedia experience. Keep that, keep that going. We need a picture <laughs> of yeah, you anyway. Right.
2: So as you, do, <laughs> as you do more and more seasoning, flavor goes up and up and up and up. And you can actually taste – they do this kind of exercise in culinary school you, uh, with a sauce. and You add a little bit more and you taste the sauce. You add a little bit more you taste the sauce. And flavor builds and builds and builds. And you actually do get this moment when suddenly it's just like, ooh, bam. Wow. We are on. We've got flavor. And then if you add more salt, you're like, that thing's salty. So um, that is, I, would, I will argue, and I'll give you a, some scientific basis for this in a second. I will argue that that is somewhat, object, uh, sub, uh, that is somewhat objective, that there is a, some, a, a, there's obviously going to be a latitude, give right. or take a millimeter, but that there is a somewhat objective basis for, for, for finding that peak of flavor. Now, I'm not saying all chefs have the savvy or cooks or, or eaters. Have the savvy but to that's to the that?
0: majority of people because my son and I are a perfect example. He never puts salt on anything, yeah. and I'm always past the salt. And he says it doesn't need it. So I feel like if yeah. it doesn't have it, I'm missing something. You, yep. Yeah. So, well,
2: you're, you're, there's two things that could. There's three things that could be happening. One is you've got uh, you need more salt. You you've got a high you know a, a, a little bit of lack of sensitivity to it, and your and your and your son's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. The other is that uh, your son doesn't know flavor um, it's possible or you don't know flavor. Uh, you know, it's th- those things do happen, but, I'll, but I'll give you my little scientific angle to this is uh, there's a pretty uh, amazing amount of research into this whole notion that we, Oh my God, salt's everywhere. There's so much salt. It's in our food supply. It's in our processed food. We're all eating way too much salt. We're all, and salt's going to kill us. And there's this huge, you know, it's called the anti-salt campaign. It's very well-developed. It's now multinational. Um, and you know we we've all been through these things. Remember when uh, cholesterol was going to kill us and eggs were the death? Yeah, and, oh, oh nope, we got that wrong. Eggs are actually one of the best whole foods. And oh, butter is going to kill us. Oh, well, we kind of screwed that one up. Butter is actually really good for you. Mm-hmm. Now there's actually new research saying that we shouldn't even eat as much protein. It's that fat-heavy diets are actually a, a, a much better. But again, we're learning. We don't know jack about nutrition. Um,
0: but there's been a
2: very interesting study which by study. the way
0: is crazy because we know so much about so much we scientifically so much. and Our nutrition bodies, where everybody eats and a, everybody's a
2: microprocessor so is inconceivably complex but it is absolutely nothing to molecular biology and, and 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 nutritional biology and all these different systems that go inside the human body they're so far you know you look at things like we're just learning now we like, we've just discovered things like DNA can mutate to adapt within a generation. We used to think that it was a thousand million year long process. Now we're realizing that our entire molecular uh, 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 encoding is something we don't even get. We don't know anything about anything. We're just... Fussing around with clubs, but some people and are
0: purporting to say that they know. They don't know jack. I get in these arguments all the time, right? I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of people who think they know a lot about a lot, and
2: well, so here's a basic example, and I'm still, I'll still get back to my, I'll tell you my evidence first, okay. and I'll tell you a really thing about, like about, for example, the salt health thing and why that argument is total bullshit, um, or why the scientific basis for that argument is unfounded. I'll put it that way, uh, but the uh, uh, the idea that we I'll maybe have somewhat of a similar, uh, I'll say to start that what tastes good, I will say is from, as far as evolutionary biology is concerned, probably rooted in what you need. More more or less, if something's tasting good, it's going to have some basis on your nutritional needs. That's what your mouth is. You're not here today and human beings aren't here today out of luck. It's because our mouths are damn good at figuring out, at ferreting out what's in the environment, getting ourselves to eat it. And, le- and giving us the data we need to know that we're eating the right thing. So that's a pretty good system. So there's been some studies done on all the salt studies, basically called meta-studies. You study other studies. And some meta-studies done on all the salt studies done all around the world, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens, and dozens of them in every single imaginable, imaginable country, China, uh, Malaysia, uh, Mongolia, Japan, uh, you know, the Andes, you name it, all over the place, Africa, they've done studies. Uh, these studies have shown a weird thing, which is they plot a curve because they're t- they're testing urinary sodium, which is the amount of so- – it does no more accurate thing. What you eat comes in comes back out. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody around the world has the same – it plots on the same line across time, by the way, not just across countries. Mm-hmm. But since the first studies, I think back in the – 40s and 50s, all the way through to present day, across the world and across time, they all plot on the same line. Little you know jumps here and there, but all within the same standard deviation. All of them, by the way, well above the U.S. government's current uh, recommended daily allowance. Um, but what that says is that we are actually programmed to consume, regardless of our food ways, regardless of our, process, our exposure to processed food, regardless of all these different things, we're all gonna eat about the same amount of salt, which to me suggests, going back to your thing about taste, we're all kind of on the same page about what salt should be in food. Kinda, give or take. Um, So that's one, that's why- So you're talking about nuances. Yeah, nuances. At that point. So
0: I was gonna ask- uh, So why
2: not have a little bit of a beautiful finishing salt to the table? I would say, and this is what I do counsel, and I'm not from a nutritional standpoint, but from a flavor standpoint, probably rings true for both, is, salt a little bit at the lower end of what you need. And if you're cooking at home, what I say is skew the use of your salt no, toward the end. It's like, then, it's like
0: cooking meat. Don't, yeah. don't go cook it rare Cook it to rare. start and then go. Yeah, and then it. that way it gives you room to put salt on at the end. So you, I have salt at the table. I agree. And I think, you know, even I will order, I'll have a sausage pizza. I like a little bit of ta- little, nice salt on it. Just, And I will say this. This is a, something I find amusing. Uh, up at Albatross in... Astoria. Eric Bouchard is up there. Yeah. And I, he's got a great burger. Yeah. This great burger and fries. And I'm sitting there with a beer and I said, hey, you got some salt? He looks is so perfect. He looks at me and just goes, no salt, and walks away. <laughs> that, that was, uh, so there's the ultimate, See, I know how to season and you don't.
2: Yep, yep, so,
0: yep. Well, you know,
2: that's that's a very chefy attitude. It's cool. Well,
0: oh, and yeah, <laughs> surprising? Yeah. yeah. No, he's it's fun. I I just I was amused. I wasn't yeah, pissed no, was off cuz no, no, no. you're like, before. well,
2: okay, I am your But you know, I, I also love and I, I really respect chef's uh, approach of like they're A lot of chefs are driven by a passion for sharing their vision for something. I want to show you the world that I know. Right, because as you said, I may have bad. I may be able to improve my flavor. He wants you to see what he sees, and that's and if you know what, and that's valid. So you know, if you don't want that, go to a place where they just where you just want what you want. Right, but you come to see him and
0: sixteen hot sauces in the cart and the
2: whole. Let me me ask you
1: this though, Chris: Were you asking for the salt before you had tasted it, or was it? After
0: I, I am pretty sh- unless it was pizza, <laughs> I asked for it after. Afterward, all right. Pizza, I know I'm going to want just a little sprinkle. Yeah, whatever it is. I, I love you. Do you know that I'm, I'm
2: getting? I'm actually falling in love with everything you're saying. So
0: <laughs> wow, you should well just listen to the podcast more yeah. and, and yeah. share it. So listen, we don't even have a lot of time left, and I was realizing that um, you know we like to get into you, and but you know what? This is who you are. This is your, your living salt. So uh and and other things yeah. too. Yeah, we we're You've talking about in a restaurant, ingredients right? And dinners so and yeah. Have you is Solo Club yeah, your so first investment in in the restaurant business? It, it, so I've never um, been a restaurateur
2: and, and and you know I'm a sane person so I've always said I, w- I would never want to be a restaurateur. Terribly sane. He just said <laughs> I'm I, just, he just so sane.
0: Based on what uh, you said about me, you are the most sane person I know.
2: Um, but there, no there's just a level of of uh, of of just day in day out uh, graciousness and, and love that goes into the service industry. And we do this at our shop, the Meadow. Um, but restaurants just have an operational complexity. That's, you know, a lot of human beings, a lot of bodies. And, um, so it's, it's, it's interesting enterprise. And I haven't been super, I've been leery of being involved in in the past, but, um, I met Kena, uh, Kena Flug, who's the owner of B saws. And she was talking about how she's opening up this bar called solo club and she's talking about what she wants to do kind of, and I'm like, well, that's the kind of stuff that I'm interested in. She says, I want to have bitters and a morrow. And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, that's like, it didn't quite go down like that conversation wise, but basically ended up saying like, Jesus Christ, I want to be a part of this. Cause, uh, and, it, there were, and so I kind of have a, a lifelong passion for bars and cocktails And I really, and I've been traveling all over Europe and all over the world and and understand and kind of exploring not so much bar culture, but like civic culture. How do people live their lives? And then what is the role that a bar plays? And what is the role that that drinking plays? And the idea of
0: sharing that with people was something that I couldn't pass up. Uh, Well, we are cut from the same cloth. I I like sharing experiences. You're just doing it from a more uh, expert standpoint. I'm just... I view myself as kind of the layperson, and you'll like this. But I want to. I had my first real. Ex- I'm not a big drinker. I was at St. Jack not long ago. Yeah, and and uh, is oh awesome place. Yes, and I was served some amaro. Yeah, and absolutely loved it. You and did, no uh, yes. Yeah, no afraid so, of what you were going to say? No. So uh, I was yeah. going to say I would love to just. Meet you at Solo Club and and do a little tasting. Uh, we and will do that. from your perspective. Yeah, and uh, um, I think that'd be great. And by the way, I'm having a hard time calling the Solo Club a bar because Dustin, um, Dustin Clark is a chef, is a chef there, and so you got you have to attach it. A re- call it. A, I've been calling it a restaurant because we're doing an event there. But um, so yeah.
2: yeah, that's one of your things, and you've written well, a book we've got, about you know, it having too. Having Dustin's food. I and mean, the thing about it is that you know. Uh, this is a bar because it's uh, the the place is organized around uh, how people live and enjoy their lives and the ways that uh, having a drink can support that and, and 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 create moments for people and create time together with people and communities. That's so that's what we are is a bar, but that a bar should have shouldn't have the best possible food. I mean, Dustin's a formidable chef, and so his but the beauty of him also he's. He's he's very, very deep in what he looks at. He he looks at the purpose of food, not just the flavor. And he looks at the stories behind food, not just the flavor. So he's he, we're enlisting his powers to support the role of the bar.
0: It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I'm, there there are a lot of people around town where that are doing that pretty well. So it's not—but not a lot, you know. Have you yeah. been to the Bible Club? The Bible Club? Yes. No, I haven't been. Well, you know, they have Tony Caffiero. Yeah. Anthony, and— and it's a you know similar concept, and it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So that leads me to some of your favorite spots in town where you like to hang.
2: Yeah, you know, so I'm I do like bars a lot, and I I'll say that I I like my I love more of the dive bar thing a lot. That's where I think American in in outside of New York City, Chicago, a few places, it's where traditionally America has excelled. We do great dive bars. And, um, so in town, I love going to places like Holman's, just kind of super old school. Um, I like hang, I kind of like the unruly sidewalk culture of a place like, um, say Swift Lounge over on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea of just big cheap things in Mason jars. It's like, it's so it's, it's anathema to the way I drink at home and it's anathema to what we'll be doing at solo club. But I think it's just very authentic. Um, but you know, I also like kind of some of the new steps in in, in more bistro style drinking culture, uh, ambiances. Like I, I think that like uh, the Richmond over on on Divisions a really comfortable, nice bar, great people. Um, There's and, a new one for
0: me. I have never nobody's uh, told just, me to go there.
2: Uh, it's it's just a nice bar, right? Uh, they're not you know frankly the bartenders are, are, are crack bartenders, but they're uh, they're not making a to-do about it. You know, they got a burger on the menu and this, that, and the food's pretty decent. I think that's,
0: that's, that's appealing. Yeah, I'm all for or it. Or someone's just authentic and not trying to tell you that they're, they're doing that. All
2: the yeah, time. yeah. And I think that, you know, I still, I still think that one of the bars that's just, just hits out of the park is, is, um, expatriate. I just that place is a gem, uh, uh, I just know. had the best
0: Bloody Mary there last weekend.
2: Other than I having agree. to endure Kyle and Naomi, you know, uh. Uh, Uh, I'm kidding. They're some of my favorite people. Uh, (laughs) Now, that's part of the enjoyment. They're just, uh, you know, and so and there's such a there's such an authentic passion behind what's doing doing what they're doing and the the scale of the place. And if I want to show take someone from out of town, be like, you know, it's a really nice bar in Portland. I think that's a safe. It's always
0: on my list. I got about five places, as many wonderful places as there are in Portland. The same five, you know, you got to go there, you got to go, yeah. you know, here. And, yeah. Um, and it doesn't really cha- change too much over time. It's and, But expatriate's fairly new, so. Yeah. Um, but it, the vibe there, if you only go, if you had one night in Portland and you just went there and you went right. to maybe another restaurant on that block. Yeah, you know, right. You've done a pretty kinda, good Portland job. You could do uh, worse, for yeah, sure. You could do worse. So uh, what, what's in your future? you you got so many things. What do you, what's... Yeah. You know, I I mean, I'm a little uh, a little bit split, but I'm also
2: uh, kind of finding my groove a little bit with my work. So I have the Meadow, which are my three stores, uh, one on Mississippi Avenue, one on Northwest 23rd, where we sell salt, chocolate, uh, cocktail bitters, kind of deep dives in those three things. Hundreds of examples of Mm -hmm. each of them. Um, So and and fresh cut flowers, salt blocks. Salt Blocks. I'm going to and-
0: say when of my when you need to buy food gifts for yeah. somebody, I bought something for Christine and Jose after our trip to Barcelona and I felt like where do we, where do I get the perfect thing? So I got them. Oh man. Salt Thank Blocks. So it's just a really it's a great place to go if you're just I don't know what I want to get and yeah. you'll get you'll yeah. form some ideas. And we have it's just great.
2: beautiful passionate staff that love to share. So doing uh, you know that's still a, a thing and and the salt side of the business business has taken off on its own so we're we're really expanding into restaurants. We've got picked up a distributor or two, and we're now really focusing on serving restaurants, getting them to make that leap into good salt, and giving them really to make it easy on them, giving them the support they need to do the job. Um, and I've uh, got a couple books coming out, one coming out in um, October on salt, and then a new book uh, after that in uh, the spring on grilling with salt blocks. Oh, so that, nice. That, that, that'll be
0: Christ, the fifth book. The fifth. Were you? Were you? Did you see yourself as a writer? Yeah, you actually, did. that's
2: that's one of the good. things. We that need that to I ha- did. We
0: need to sit down and have some drinks. And you gotta, you gotta figure. Help me figure out my thing because I'm a fairly good writer, but I just don't do it enough. I figured out the tricks because I, I was so at sea.
2: I was I, I I aged writing my first book. I put everything in my life in that. But thank God
0: it, it did well, and I'm.
2: Well, I you got, got lucky. more
0: hair than I do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and, I had so much hair to begin with.
0: Yeah, well, we all, we all did, man. <laughs> I can pull out my high school pictures. Um, and what's the salt book going to be about? Uh, so it's
2: really just a, a, a oh, a, cooking with a, a smaller, yeah, cooking with salt. Just it's called craft salt. Oh, cooking. so that's the different It's on one Amazon have... now for pre-order and on our website. And that's just a, a much a smaller. My first book was salted, a manifesto. It's a mm-hmm. big anthology. It's a tome. It's researches. It's got tons of information. Tons How long of did recipes. That take you? it was that was a lot of a culmination of a lifetime and then crammed into a couple years of intense writing
0: so that one mark beast. bitterman book, which one I know that's hard for you to say <laughs> I would say by so, the, I mean salted is get, yeah that's why that's you led the, me the, there yeah. so it was kind of a
2: salt block cooking, which was my second book, has sold over a hundred and like ten hundred and twenty thousand copies Wow so it's kind of a runaway bestseller but but it's. I think the salted book is what, or you know, I put my heart and soul.
0: Well, good. Well, thanks for bringing your heart and soul here. It's been shorter than I would have liked to have, it to have been, but
2: well, I'm around.
0: Yeah. Well, part two, part, part, uh, yes, salt part two. Mark No, Mark. Yeah, part, part, did. part is it? Yeah, part two.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Chew Dining Club. Chew gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. Just download the app right now and check in at participating establishments. Get the rewards you want, like free pizzas, drinks, extended happy hour deals, and more. Plus exclusive information about fun food events and invites, too chew and by portlandfoodanddrink.com portland's original food and drink news and review blog brought to you by the legendary food dude now featuring the huge outdoor dining list you'll need to eat drink and enjoy the portland summer sunshine and fresh air check it out today at portlandfoodanddrink.com Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Arielle Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.